0: Welcome to the Josh Scanlon podcast. This episode first appeared as a video on my YouTube channel at youtube.com backslash Heritage Wealth Planning. I hope you find it informative. Thanks. All right. All right, my friends. So we have Michelle Sterling from Friends of Science with us today. I cannot tell you how much of a privilege this is because I just, I follow her YouTube channel. And the reason I wanted to ask her to come on and I was just, I was tickled when she said, yeah, is because she did this video on a Greta Thurn, I don't even know, Thunberg. I still have yet to figure out. Thunberg,
1: I think. Yeah.
0: Okay um and just asking begging essentially Greta to to smile and uh you know Greta we know is the uh climate you know apocalypse and I don't think it's her I think she's being spoon-fed from from uh people that don't have her best interests at heart unfortunately it's sad Uh, but that really just it broke my heart the idea that you have this young girl who's being used for propaganda and it happens all the time I get that But anyway, Michelle or Michelle did a uh a video on that, and I just said, man, I would love to get her on the the channel just to kind of go over the uh, the apocalypse, the doomsday scenarios, and just you know her background of of what she's had to see throughout her career. So, Michelle, welcome to the uh, the the podcast, the the uh, YouTube channel for sure.
1: Well, thank you so much, Josh. Really appreciate you giving oh, man, us a call. It. Say hi to your pooch there. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. So he doesn't what bark too much. There he is. Uh, yeah, he, he's. So he loves to have attention, he loves to be on the camera. Um, now where are you coming in from here? I'm in Atlanta, where, where are you exactly?
1: Well we're here in Calgary, Alberta. Oh and, yeah, right. Uh, we do have members from around the world but we're based in Calgary and we're now experiencing several centimeters of global warming today. <laughs> or inches, I guess I have to put that in American terms. So uh, yeah, we're rolling into winter here, it's seasonal and it's not climate change, it's weather.
0: Um, are you native of Calgary?
1: I, I am actually okay. born in Calgary, and uh, my grandmother actually spent her honeymoon here at the very first Calgary Stampede.
0: Interesting.
1: <laughs> yeah, so. yeah.
0: But you speak French, I, I think, right? So do they, I mean, I would have thought that'd be, you know, more in the Eastern part of the country. Is that oh, funny? I
1: speak it badly, but oh. you know, I, I did speak it much better you know many years ago but i'm just out of practice but yeah there are quite a number of french canadians in in alberta actually i think there's about um a million five hundred thousand or something interesting you know lots of people with french roots lots of people with making roots sort of like uh you know from your area of course the new france yeah you know was from quebec down to louisiana the creole area all that so you know you guys in that region i guess have some connections as well.
0: But well, I'm from Maine originally and uh I mean my uh yeah we you know we lots of French Canadians in Maine for sure Biddeford and whatnot. So I'm very fond of Canada. I've never been to Calgary that I asked my what buddy. Ask my wife ask anybody. I've always wanted to go to Calgary. I don't know why, but I've always had this envision like it's like the perfect city. I've never been there but uh, I just uh, one of these days we're going to get up there i don't do any skiing but uh, one of these days we're gonna get up there for sure and i can't well
1: wait. you know come up for the summer because uh, we're about 40 minutes from the rocky mountains yeah. Beautiful there. and it's a beautiful city we have a fabulous calgary yeah. lots of fun people from around the world come to you know just uh, kick it up for a couple of weeks put on a cowboy hat and boots yeah. you don't even need those you can go without them but uh, most people like to you know sort of dress up a little bit and there's everything so uh, everything from you know the big rodeo events yeah. to wagon racing and, and bucking bronx and bulls and all that to just downtown pancake uh breakfasts oh, all it's yeah. all city and you know it's just really a fun event so lots of people really enjoy that and then they quite often will continue to the mountains to Just. Oh, Chas-
0: yeah. yeah absolutely.
1: Oh. So a beautiful area yeah I mean, and there's a mind- other big historic sites too like um there's head smashed in Buffalo Jump, which is just south of the city. Oh man, <laughs> five thousand year old historic site where Aboriginal people used to run the buffalo off the Whoa, cliff. Oh no kidding! Yeah, yeah, so very very interesting, very important archaeological, yeah. um, anthropological site, and also the Royal Tyrrell Museum, which is a couple of hours, um, sort of north and east of here, and it's got a fantastic, fantastic collection of real dinosaur bones and replications of all these huge dinosaurs so it's wonderful if you have kids you know you can spend the whole day there so that's out at Drumheller so lots of things to do here.
0: How do you I I would think Calgary uh, because you know obviously you're getting global warming out there now how do you heat (laughs) your Residences of Calgary, natural gas. I mean, it can't be, you don't have a, a wood fireplace. I want to in apartment building. How do you heat your houses?
1: Yeah, well, natural gas is the predominant form of heating here okay. across the West in BC. Um, I think not so much in, um, you know, Montreal area. They have a lot of hydro. So, yeah. From James Bay, but natural gas is the the common form of heating, central heating in Canada. And uh, up north, you know, when I say up north, I mean north of Edmonton. So okay. people are often living on isolated acreages and such like. A lot of people do burn wood there because they have a lot, you know, they're clearing land for for farming. So they just use that wood and burn it. So
0: is there any issue in terms of, I mean, because like... <laughs> We're reading about Cuomo in New York State, you know, just anti-pipeline, and yet you know, the people in New York they need natural gas. The whole thing is nuts. Is there any issues mm-hmm. in, in at least Alberta, because you're counting Cal- Alberta, um, with them trying to take away uh, natural gas pipelines or natural gas usage? You don't know say. I mean, that would I would think that'd be revolutionary if they were to do that, right?
1: Well, you know, there's two issues uh, happening specifically to taking away natural gas, BC british columbia to the west of us which is mostly a fairly temperate climate certainly in the south of it um they're planning to try and go without natural gas which is ludicrous because they're going to have to build more dams and uh, C dam they're they have under construction right now and it's been under construction for a long time and it's a stop and start with environmentalists but if they want to go all ev Hmm. there was just an article the other day they'd have to increase their their electrical output and this just evs for transportation this is not to mention the capacity they'd have to add to compensate for the natural gas they want to take away from housing Um, they'd have to increase their their um electrical generation capacity 63 percent so you know more than double and you know this is an area of the country which like like um california often suffers from el nino effects mm. you know and el nino is a natural weather phenomenon climate phenomenon usually lasts a couple of years but it's um sort of a a hot bath on the ocean and that hot air if you like you know influences the climate of coastal regions yeah. and uh, significantly reg- you know places that rely on hydro they often um, go to almost deadpool at that time like they just don't have enough water in the reservoir so in 2015 they already had hydro rationing in bc because of an el El nino so you know imagine this province actually trying to go completely off natural gas and rely just on one form of energy you know and i I guess that's kind of the craziness of things like the green new deal yeah where they don't see that this energy mix is an energy security issue because you know if you're if gas prices spike and you've got hydro you can rely on hydro right If, if you have coal you can fall back and use more coal um which happened a couple of winters ago in the states um you know the Eastern Seaboard; it was very, very cold, yeah. and uh, gas prices spiked 400 percent. Yeah, yeah. So it a amazing. lot of absolutely. So a lot of the companies I understand from some of the power generation people I know they they just started switching back to coal because it was cheap, it's available, and they had a much higher profit margin using it. But you know these are things that people don't think about when they're coming up with these ideas, crazy really? ideas, to save the planet. They're going to kill right. a lot
0: people I don't, you know and then in california they you know hey, well, let me just close yep. well, just one second
1: yeah no problem
0: <laughs> we got this guy who is growling at i'm not sure what he's growling at so i have to close this This is a uh, nothing but professionalism here channel, <laughs> that's for sure
1: no you um, like the casual conversation
0: i have my third boy right here because i have two boys and two girls and pablo is now my third um and he's actually more of a hands-on than any of my <laughs> kids what uh you know i sit there in like california they just got you know they they don't like hydro or at least in southern i can't remember the, what the dam was or anything but they're the environmentalists all up in arms about hydro so it's kind of like it's like you can't win with these people i don't, literally don't understand i'm sitting there thinking you don't like nuclear you hate coal obviously you don't like clean burning natural gas you don't like hydro it's, it can't be just pv and wind and then you're saying in vancouver or bc they're going to try to get rid of natural gas and go, all hydro? It's just- it's- Well, hydro, and,
1: and they plan to put um, um, solar panels and wind turbines. Well, first of all, you know, BC is a very mountainous region. So what are you now gonna start, uh, you know, peppering all those beautiful mountaintops tops? Oh, man. Solar panels, yeah. and it also snows there quite heavily in winter. So who's gonna, are these the green jobs? You know, you're gonna give everybody a broom to get out yeah. there and sweep them off? They also always have wildfires because that's part of how the forest okay. reuses itself. Well, that spreads a lot of ash and soot. So, you know, that diminishes, dramatically diminishes the effectiveness of solar panels. Okay. And I have no idea where they could put uh, wind farms. Um, if they put them off the coast, you know, part of the problems we've had in Canada is pipeline blockades to the coast well the blockades from like
0: protesters or something like that or yes yes
1: foreign funded protesters so the the blockades you know one of their principal arguments is that the whales might suffer you know from a tanker um they don't seem to mind the cruise ships or the (laughs) ferry or the the container ships but you know boy if it's an oil tanker uh -uh.
0: you gotta get your amazon products from china that's not a problem but it's the oil that's a problem you know the tankers that's
1: yeah so you know if they're going to plan to build offshore wind farms what about those whales cuz those wind farms are um, not very good for critters uh, anyway. I was
0: driving through um, New Hampshire about 2 years ago Michelle and uh you know going towards Dartmouth College I forgot the uh, I guess the White Mountains and it just had this just I took this beautiful beautiful picture cuz it just is insanely gorgeous it's, the most, it's just insanely mm-hmm. beautiful and I said, sarcastically, you know what this pitcher needs? It needs some wind farms, uh, some wind turbines. That would really add to the natural uh, yeah. beauty of God's creation. I, and I just, because the Maine, in you know, Texas, i lived looked Texas, I'm from Maine, like I said, and just uh, the, the wind industry, how how they sold that to, I don't know if it's ignorant or agree, I don't get it. I just uh, sit there, look, solar PV, I, I, solar thermal I get, it's not going to you know heat my house, but you know, I get you could certainly say, look, I can power a freaking computer on a you know, photovoltaic panel. But, you know, the idea that we're going to heat our homes on solar photovoltaic is stupid. And I'm, and then wind is even worse. I'm sitting there thinking of all the the industries that have gathered traction, the solar photovoltaic and wind. I, I literally, I sit there and I say, what do these guys have on people? Because this is like the worst of all the, I mean, it's insane. I just don't get it. Any, any thoughts on that? i
1: don't want to go up a ramp but it's crazy no uh well see first of all they're both sold as being clean and green Mm. uh as if you know nobody has to do any mining to get all minerals and those things don't have to be shipped anywhere or replaced uh, that's very interesting is uh, robert f kennedy jr the um, environmentalist is quoted as saying that when when we're building wind and solar plants (laughs) excuse me, farms, Uh, all we need is about uh, 3,000 feet of elevation and a gas plant because what we're really building is a gas plant and that's true. So the people who are pushing this are interested in carbon offsets and the renewable tradable energy certificates are created by the wind and solar farms. So they're like printing money every time they're running. Um, The gas plant, they're selling more gas um then there's uh you know if you're into mutual funds then all of the back end might have investments in yes. um, it infrastructure in all the transmission lines you know they never tell you that this free clean wind and solar will require you know a 200 mile transmission line which will cost you a few billion dollars so there's all these hidden consumer costs that are tacked on behind you know, people get their bill and they're not getting free wind and solar. So, you know, in the States, billions of dollars have been spent on wind and solar. And it uh, from the U.S. EIA, the stats say that they only supply 6% of the power in the United States for those billions and billions exactly. of dollars. Yeah. You know, and they've also demarketed um, the very valuable coal assets where, you know, coal, is, is, uh, coal has been so demarketed. You know, Bloomberg has been paying ENGOs like Sierra Club to demarket and demolish the reputation of coal. But interestingly enough, um, you know, coal is very price stable. That's why energy generators like it, because uh-huh. over the long term, there's a very, very, very slow increase in the, in the value of coal. But when you look at natural gas, of course, it's all over the map, so mm-hmm. it's hard to do long term planning. But if you have a power grid let's say 30% coal, 40% coal on the grid, along with the other components, then you know that that section is going to be pretty much price stable, so it helps yeah. for long term planning. And also, um, what we found in Alberta, we were about 50 50 coal and natural gas, or let's say 45 45, um, and now the natural gas component has grown somewhat yeah. because they're trying to phase out coal but coal often provides 70 percent of the base load power here you know so when you're looking at a place that gets to minus 40 yeah. fahrenheit in winter that's very very important <laughs> that's happened? important for price it's important for supply energy security and here we happen to own a lot of coal so you know it gives us energy security and I'm sure this is similar in the States. You know, I'm sure that this is also why President Trump has, you know, made the push yeah. to bring back coal. Because if you look at any competitive nation in the world. Right.
0: Exactly.
1: They're doing the it. The ones that are highly competitive, highly industrialized, they're probably using 30 to 40, maybe 50 percent coal. China has is 60 percent or more coal.
0: And they're growing so, every year. China and yeah. India. I, it's I, I, the, the, the propaganda, though, Michelle, is like, these are things are happening. We see, I mean, I, there's a Wall Street Journal, I keep it in my lap my, uh, my, on my desktop. Uh, Jimmy Carter says, by 2000, we're going to have 20 or 30% of our energy in the United States with uh, solar. And it's a Wall Street Journal headline thing. I just, I always kind of chuckle at that because that was silly then. And it's even sillier now because now we're in 2020. By the way, we we've known this, and I don't get why the propagandists always seem to win. Like we know for a fact that solar and wind uh, is just is just minimal. It's just is not going to provide in a growing economy. Never mind, I mean, I mean, not even a stagnant one, but one that's growing. It's not going to give us what we need, and I don't understand like. I mean, I don't get why the propagandists always seem to have a leg up in terms of everyone just says, oh, yeah, we need to go green as if there's, that means anything. When we know for a fact that we also need to heat our house, we need to power our plants, we need to, heaven forbid, take an airplane. How do these guys win? I mean, I, I mean aren't there people on our side who have money to debate the boomers of the world? How come they always have the, the microphone and we're just left as heretics? I don't get it.
1: Well, you know, it's really a challenging situation. Like in 1970, don't remember the exact year, but uh, Peter Drucker, who's a management guru, um, he foretold that there would be this thing called pension fund socialism. Because he saw that the pension funds of unions and uh, municipal workers and such like... Uh, had grown in in such uh, tremendous strength and they were buying up shares in corporate America. And so they pretty much owned most of corporate America and most of corporate Canada as well. And that probably would have been fine until around 2005, um, this organization was created called the UNPRI. Might have been even earlier than that. Um, And the UNPRI is a... Um, an unelected, unaccountable organization that's made up of all these institutional investors, probably about a thousand of them, Um, and they've all signed on to this two-degree target. They're all climate-obsessed. Their main guru is Al Gore, and and, uh, yeah, exactly, and they're all supposed to be investing in sustainability. They all sign this voluntary pledge on six principles but one of the principles is you must comply or explain so they've turned them all into activist investors and we saw that in Alberta with the Alberta climate plan uh, which was implemented about uh, 2015 Mm -hmm. around the Paris agreement time and also uh, subsequent to the election of the new democratic party which is quite a socialist type of party Um, and, and they, this, so
0: the NDP is in charge of Alberta.
1: They were. Oh. Now we have a new party in charge called the United Conservative Party, and, and they're like
0: this most parties. recent election. They they right. got NDP. Law. Okay.
1: Yeah. So they've dumped a bunch of the climate plans of this group, but that the NDP plan was extremely influenced by NEI Investments who um, that's made up of the credit unions of Canada and Desjardins out of Quebec. And uh, they came to the Alberta government and said, listen, we have this letter, 120 signatories. We represent $4.6 trillion in investment funds. And here's what we think you should do. (laughs) So that's pretty much where it came from. Um, And of course, you know, those, those things are beneficial to these investors. If you have a win contract, you have 20 to 40 years of guaranteed income right I,
0: that's, if you I, yeah.
1: and if you're if that group is invested in other mutual funds where there's no sort of they can say well we don't have any direct conflict right. of interest we don't know where our money's being invested but if it is invested say in the construction of wind turbines the gas plant the offsets you know then then they're making lots of extra money from all of those added elements behind the scenes of the wind and solar farms and the renewable energy certificates. So there's a group primarily based in the States called Climate Works Foundation. And um, it has its roots, I would say, in in some of the novel accounting things that happened with Enron. (laughs) Mm. Like when Enron was around, um, they had created some funds that were earning like 23%. Uh, there was one called the Osprey Trust that earned 23%, which as an investment guy, I'm sure you know that that's unheard of. So uh, as Enron collapsed, a lot of people saw these ideas of yeah. you know, an international cap and trade program, yes. carbon yeah. pricing, renewables. They saw it as a way of making all this extra money. And great returns right so first of and all though, it can be green at the same time it's great exactly well and see that's the simplest way to sell it because first of all everyone wants to save the planet don't you care about your kids
0: <laughs> no i don't i want them yeah. to drink polluted water no.
1: yeah exactly i mean it's, it's such a uh, a horrible manipulative thing that they do but it works um So anyway, first there was an energy foundation and it was funding environmental groups. And this is something that Enron had done to push Kyoto as well. Uh, there's a very famous memo called the palmisano memo written from kyoto where john palmisano was writing back to enron headquarters and saying "Well, you know we're going to make a lot of money because there's this global emissions trade you know cap and trade carbon pricing and a huge huge fund and this is the uh, today it's called the green climate fund right and they were planning that hundred billion dollars a year would come from contributors primarily the west to all these developing nations. But it's really kind of a financial recycling project because most of that money goes to one of these nations so that, say, Germany can sell them more wind farms. So, you know, really it's paying for (laughs) Germany to build wind farms. There's almost no no local benefit whatsoever. And um, so these concepts that date back to the days of Enron and Kyoto still live and they're still being promoted. and. Enron used to pay ENGOs to front their claims. And this is exactly what the Climate Works Group is doing too. So worldwide, they actually have a worldwide plan for global cap and trade. And this was revealed in the Climate Works document in the WikiLeaks. Um,
0: Really? Okay, so interesting. So it's been exposed.
1: Right, so they've been paying all of these ENGOs you know, to beat the drum for the climate right. catastrophe, because if there's no climate catastrophe, you don't need wind or solar, right?
0: <laughs> and, and, and then they don't get make the money. Uh, they don't make they- the money.
1: The NGO doesn't get the donations. You know, uh, groups like Greenpeace. Uh, Doctor yeah. Soon and Doctor Moore did a piece on Greenpeace and how yeah. they used all these catastrophes as fundraising drives. And you know, until you see it on paper, you don't believe it because you think, oh they're saving the planet oh, right. oh. i'm never going to use a plastic straw right. in my life right and then the world
0: wildlife fund has a picture of a panda michelle you know we right. want to save the pandas uh but you know yeah. they're all they're all fascists. but deep, i mean literally fascists because they want the government to to make them money i mean there's no other way around that
1: well it, you know and this is a the problem there's a new book that's out called um uh, it's by drew godafridi and it's called the green Reich. Yeah. He's a philosopher out of Belgium. So it was originally published in French called uh, uh, L'Ecologisme, the New uh, Totalitarianism. And um, it just came out uh, on November the 1st. Oh,
0: the Green oh, Reich, R-E-I-C-H, like Hitler Reich. Okay, Hitler. that's Wow, oh, man, I'm getting that book. <laughs>
1: and, and he's looked at it very closely, and he said, you know, there's a humanicidal tendency in these groups. A lot of these groups, and even some of the senior climate scientists in the world, say things like, well, you know, the climate would be fine if we just got rid of nine-tenths of humanity. So, you know, some of these people are not kidding. They really do want to get rid of people.
0: Yeah.
1: And, you know, on the sixth side of things, if you look at what's happened in the UK, where they've implemented things like carbon taxes, and um, that's driven up power prices and and heating prices, and... Um, You know, and lots of renewable subsidies, like for instance, the Drax former coal plant now makes more money from renewable subsidies, burning wood pellets from your part of the world. Exactly, from North Carolina. (laughs) Yeah. It burns in forests. Yeah, they make more money off that than actually selling the energy. Which have to be
0: shipped by a boat that's not running on batteries. That's the whole thing is...
1: But anyway, in the UK, you know, the winter deaths of elderly people are... Have skyrocketed because of heat or eat poverty. They can't afford uh, to heat their home, or they can't afford to eat. So either they're dying of malnutrition, or uh, of you know cold and and um, associated respiratory illnesses because you're living in too cold of an environment. So you know they really these policies really are literally wiping out people. And, and they don't uh,
0: mind it. I mean, you just look at. I mean, literally you know, I'm not going to paint with a broad brush, but many of those people on that side of the, what I'd hate to say left, because, you know, my parents are hippies, and I left from the day of what I remember was, uh, you know, just love people, and, and you know, just right, right. protect the earth. All gone. Now the left is fascistic, and, and I don't mean like freaking Hitler's brownshirts necessarily, the Antifa certainly is, but I mean more that the government dictates how things are run, and, as long as we make the money, we don't care what happens to humanity. I, literally, I truly believe that, and I just find it – not only do I find it disgusting, I just – I don't get why so many people fall for this. It's nuts. And I, and I get the propaganda in schools. I get all that. But do people not think – do they not have a sense of just you know, thought that they can see? You know, this they keep saying these climate alarms, and yet it never happens, yet we get better. When are somebody going to say, these guys are full of crap? It's just – it's crazy to me.
1: Well, I think President Trump did say that. <laughs> you yeah. know, he pulled out of the Paris Agreement, and I think he signed a formal document to do that just yesterday or today. Um, and, uh, you know, as a business guy, I'm sure he looked at the Paris Accord and said, well, oh. this is nothing, you know, because it's, it's non-binding, which in a way that's good, thank God. But it's also, um, you know, very waffly. It's right. very, none of the targets have been met for the past 30 years. <laughs> so why would signing this agreement in Paris make it? Uh, a real thing. Um, but, you know, they're using very advanced psychological te- psychological techniques. There's a woman in the States called Margaret Klein-Solomon. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's with Climate Mobilization. She's yeah. a clinical psychologist by training, and she has developed the climate emergency mode. And she, you know, the things that Greta Thunberg is saying in public, she is parroting what Margaret Klein Solomon has written and developed as a plan, and that is, that the only the way to get people compliant is to scare them to death.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, you know, when you hear someone say, "I want you to act like your house is on fire," right, right. Uh, this is part of this psychological tactic to make you feel like, "Oh my gosh," you know, the end of the world is near and um you know i think that that's immoral i think it's unethical i wish that more people would call her out on it but the media are very compliant you really? know the media have been running this covering climate now campaign via columbia journalism review they've got about 300 different media outlets tied to it this year in the run-up to cop 25 but they're only covering one side of climate yeah. and that's the scary part why again many of these big um news firms uh, media firms are are owned by these institutional investors the same people who are signed on to this um unpri you know focus on uh climate catastrophe and sell more renewables
0: do you think it so at the top of the of the tippy top is to quote our infamous aoc is it the investments that's leading the pack or is it the investor the investments that are worried about I don't know what I know they're trying. I look, I don't trust these guys as far as I can kick them, but are they the ones saying we're gonna sh- we need to find a new way to generate profit? We can we can we think we can fool people by investing, uh, in these Greenpeace, whatnot, and WWF, the whole thing. And and so we're gonna shower money, money, and we're gonna have these you know cuddly images of you know, uh, I mean, do you think it starts there? The invest, I mean, it, it, let me go into this a little bit more because Vanguard. I noticed something at Vanguard and they're the biggest, I don't know if you know them up in Canada, but down here, they're huge. I worked at Vanguard many, many years ago, uh, but they now represent like Vanguard, BlackRock and State Street represent like, I think like 40% of the of the voting shares on the S and P 500, these three mm-hmm. firms. And mm-hmm. I noticed Vanguard had a press release that they're going to become more green. And I, that scared the hell out of me. I was like, this is exactly what friggin' scares me because they're going to be more green while they're controlling more and more of the corporations that we frequent every day. And you can see where this is going to go. It's again, mm-hmm. fascistic. I just sit there and think, so does it start there at the top? The investments are telling other people what to do so that way they can make more money. I know it's about conspiracy. I don't care. It's factual. What, what do you think? Where's the genesis of all this?
1: Well, I think a lot of it is, um, you know, going back to the roots of this um, climate works foundation where uh, you know, many of the participants in the Climate Works Foundation were investigated in the 1950s by the Reese Commission in the States, which found that, yes, many of these huge family foundations, like the Rockefellers yes. and okay. Carnegies and such like, have so much power that they can, you know, literally change the world. And there's not much that the U.S. government could do about it. And that was back in the 50s. 50s yeah. And so that has more or less happened. And, you know, I think originally probably a lot of this was in good faith. I don't think that it was intended to be like a scam from the beginning. Because, you know, if you look back in history, I I think I sent you a a, a clipping of a Betty Friedan article. Yes,
0: I saw that. I said, is that the same Betty Friedan?
1: Yeah, Harper's Magazine, 1958, I think it was. The Ice Age, the coming Ice Age.
0: So the, there was the, the feminist lady that was her, right
1: that's right, that was her, and she was I, writing on topic <laughs> but uh the the view then you know there had been cooling from about the nineteen forties down to the nineteen seventies, so the view then was that probably global cooling was about to begin, yeah. and if you look throughout time, you'll see there's a cyclical pattern of warming and cooling. It's not exact. Mm -hmm. It's not the exact same number of years and such like or the exact same heights and and depths. But there is a cyclical, obvious cyclical pattern of climate uh, that is far beyond our control. So uh, they probably thought we were going into cooling then. But from about the 1980s to the 90s, we started warming up again. And there was pretty much a lockstep CO2 going up and temperature going up at the same time. So people assume that these earlier theories by people like Svante Arrhenius and uh, John Tyndall, where they theorized that more carbon dioxide would cause a lot more warming, perhaps mm-hmm. catastrophically. So they they assumed that that was correct. And, you know, so we hear things like even Exxon was uh, reviewing this. Of course they were, you know, this was um, a part of their business Right. requirement at the time, you know, and Exxon was actually the only company issuing public statements um in the New York Times saying, look, you know, climate is very complex and there are right. uncertainties. Like let's not jump into this. And people now say, see, they right. knew right. well, you know, they knew what geologists know because oil companies have lots of geologists. So what do geologists know? They know there's 4.5 billion years of climate change history. <laughs> And there have been many times when carbon dioxide has been high and temperature low and vice versa. So there's no correlation, geologically speaking, with the impact of a rise in carbon dioxide and temperature um and so all these theorists though had jumped on the john tyndale Swantarinius bandwagon because of this rise and there'd also been um a conference on the uh, law of the atmosphere i think it was around 1975 margaret mead and william kellogg uh ran it and um you know this was a time of growing consciousness about things like there is been at laws of the sea implemented where people started saying well you know there are some common areas that we should all take care of right. and we should have some rules about this that we try to deal with it was also a time of rising consciousness about smog and pollution yeah, right. back, mm-hmm. back in the 70s yeah. uh, LA was you know choked with smog yeah you know, and Carson, the, uh,
0: Lake Erie or whatever it was you do know i mean Like could set the uh, whatever that lake was in Pennsylvania or Ohio on fire you could literally Right. Fire, you know, people like yeah,
1: because people were ignorant at the time. You can't, in many ways, you can't blame them. People didn't know. Like when I grew up, I grew up in the country, and I remember every spring, you know, when there was a spring flood and the river in front of our house, you saw everything going down that river because people used to throw things in the river because it right. went to the sea. Right. You know, that's how people's consciousness was. Right. But um, anyway. Uh, So there was growing environmental consciousness. I would say at that time, the environmental groups that were actually grassroots, probably people like your parents, you know, really did a good thing because they brought, they elevated the consciousness of the public and governments and they forced them to implement rules to reduce emissions and manage these noxious pollutants, build wastewater treatment plants so you're not sending your sewage into the river So lots of good was probably done then. But um, as I say, once uh, this 1980, 1990 period passed, moving into the 1990s, we saw quite a separation of carbon dioxide rising, temperatures are flatlining to the point that in 2013, the uh, Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change issued a report saying, well, for the past 15 years, there's been pretty much no warming. Yeah. even though there's been right. a rise in carbon you know CO2 was... Yeah. yeah, and then they also said, you know, and none of the climate models that we use predicted that. So that means there's a problem in the climate models, but these climate models or simulations, that's what policy is being based on. So that's what, when AOC is saying, oh, we're all going to die right. in 12 years, it's based on one of these simulations that's right. using faulty data on carbon dioxide and that's probably using the worst forecast called the um uh what is it the representative concentrated pathway um and if i can just talk about that for a minute there that's um this is called the rcp and in the ipcc report they have a chart showing that there's an rcp Of 8.5 that would be like the most catastrophic outcome they perceive but that would mean everybody going back to burning coal and wood (laughs) Which is not going to happen. And there's I think a 6.4 4.5 and a 2.6 so uh, And we're about here. So in real life, we're here and 8.5 is up here So that's completely unrealistic, but when you hear these scary stories, this is what they're relying on It's far more likely that the future would be down here because every day we're coming up with mitigations for carbon dioxide and every day scientists are finding that it's not the control knob you know that's what judith curry testified to the yeah. us senate after that ipcc report she said carbon dioxide is not the control knob that controls exactly,
0: climate exactly no she said turn you can't just turn on this knob called co2 and change but yet we are so arrogant to think we can actually it's sad because uh judith curry my my oldest goes to georgia tech and she's studying uh see uh, a computer science but she's very interested in math too and and i said oh man judith curry's down there and now she's not there anymore because
1: they ran yeah, her out she retired yeah
0: yeah because yeah. you know she's a heretic it's just that uh <laughs> you know my parents we compost we had chickens we had eggs you know they went back to the farm so to speak and uh and I'm sitting there thinking, you know, that's fine. I, look, I, there's a guy named uh, Curtis Stone up in uh, in in, uh, in maybe it's a Calgary. He's an urban farmer, and he talks mm-hmm. all this about uh, the Alberta Land, ALR, something like that. Just the 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 insanity that is on the green agenda, and this where you came and farm your own land without the government approving. It's just and he's because I, I I I follow you know making the soil healthier and all that stuff, and, but not the way the the Greens want to do it. Anyway, it's nuts, and I'm sitting there thinking. You know there are people who are trying to do this, but yet we're not going to be allowed because if we don't fall hook, line, and sinker to the orthodox, we not quite literally, but soon literally, burned at the stake. I just, it's just, it's it's the weirdest thing. And the thing that just, uh, Michelle, that I sit there with AOC, Al Gore, and I listen to this guy, a comedian, and uh, who's he's a great. I like he's from Boston. He's a good guy, and I. But he always talks about global warming. And yet he flies all over the world. I sit there and say, you
1: can't do this. It's nuts. Well, that's the hypocrisy. Exactly. You know, and, uh, uh, you know, as you're talking about this theme of of terrorizing and and stuff, I wanted to show my my favorite Oh, yeah. This is the Augsburg Book of Miracles. It was written in the 1500s. And it's beautifully illustrated. But what, these, what is
0: that? What, what is that on fire right there? What's that? Uh, uh,
1: probably uh, a comet or something like that. You know, okay. there were in the in that uh, that was in the Little Ice Age. The Little Ice Age happened from yeah. about the 1300s yeah. to 1860, and it literally was a Little Ice Age. Temperatures yeah. cooled quite a lot, and there were also, especially toward the end of that period, a number of big volcanoes that. Cooled the temperatures of the Earth significantly, not for ten years, but for certainly for five or so. Um, anyway, people in that time were terrified by the erratic changes in the climate and the weather. And uh, you know, there's a very good video piece I invite people to watch by Dr. Sally Belliunis called "Weather Cooking with the Help of Satan," <laughs> because in that time that was the only way people could understand it. They they you know. It would be a drought one year then they'd have floods the next year Then yeah. they'd have these strange things coming from the sky yeah. then then there'd be a volcano say in in iceland but in europe the sky would turn all kind of golden with the ash and the and the uh aerosols so the only way people could explain these things was by looking at the weirdo down the street hey. and saying that person. that guy did it <laughs> is weather cooking with the help of Satan. And and in that time, thousands of people were burnt at the stake for that crime.
0: That, that's, that,
1: that's and it not, sounds just like today. It's a, a replica of what's happening today.
0: <laughs> you think, so like Tim Ball won his, well, he's going to get paid from a uh, Michael Mann for his, uh, you know, we, anyway, it, it seems, I don't know, maybe it's just my whole, I'm an optimist. If you've got four kids, you can't help to be, but, I, but I fight the pessimism that's in me, Michelle, because I sit there and I think that corporate America is uh, – corporate America takes care of a corporate America. I don't know about Canada. I imagine the same thing. And the, the money moneyed interest um, – you know, we've beaten everything else. We beat the Nazis. We essentially beat the commies. I'm not quite sure what we have with China. But, you know, we got to create something in which to fight against uh, for our own feeling of self-worth. And, uh, you know, it's easy for well upper uh, elitists to, to blame – uh, the environment, and you know, say they're going to be for environment because there's nothing else that there's nothing for them to fight anymore because they they have three mills, they have all the the just the glory of living in modern society, and so they're going to spend all their money just to you know essentially to uh to self gratification, saying we are going to take care of this so you don't have to worry about it, i.e. we're gonna we're gonna spend our money to fight the fight against you know global warming and things like that, but they got the money, and I'm just thinking you think there's, is there any, you know, 15 years from now, are we gonna be living under a green new deal or we're going to be living under more of a, a libertarian free market thing where people, what do you think? I just, I can't help but, yeah, I don't know, man. I, I get, I get nervous about this. Let's just put it that way. What, what, what's your crystal ball say?
1: Uh, yeah, I wish I had a crystal yeah. ball. I don't. Uh, but these, um, you know, it, it is very serious because there's two things I would say that are involved here. One of them in the whole earth movement is that it's an almost direct transference of Judeo-Christian religious thinking yeah, no, to absolutely. the yeah. environment where the earth has become um, Mother God, if exactly. you like. Exactly. And, uh, and it is very religious and very cult-like in its dogma and its requirement that everyone comply. So, you know, of course, this is where we hear about the 97% consensus all the time. And that's also a very powerful psychological tactic because we're herd animals by nature. We're gregarious. We want to belong. We want to be involved. And on the other side of it, another psychological tactic is ostracization. Yeah. People don't want to be left out. They don't want to be a heretic. They don't want to feel rejected, you know, in in terms of subsistence survival hundreds of years ago. If you were rejected from the tribe you died
0: yeah, yeah, you know, so. right.
1: but today if you're rejected um actually kipling d williams is a psychologist he's done a lot of work on ostracization and he's found that the feelings of being rejected are uh in the brain are interpreted the same as physical violence really Yes, so, and people know that, you know, when somebody rejects you in an an onerous way, you have that gut wrenching feeling that hurts. You know, it hurts. It It really hurts. And even if you try to make your case and then you're mocked or bullied or whatever, you know, that hurts even more. So they're using these very powerful psychological tactics to force conformity. And there's another element, and that is sort of the Marxist communist socialist movement where, um, ordinary people look uh, often you know a, a lot of people like extinction rebellion and such like oh. um you know they would look at things like um energy in the world and say well why should you people in alberta have access to all these energy resources and and we're forced to buy them from you when we could all own them <laughs> you know and i've tried that
0: before yeah
1: well i think the un um you know many of the signatories to the un are from countries that don't have fossil fuels so they look at it and go hmm well we that can that all own, sense. exactly we'd love to all own those fossil fuels so you know there are lots of elements of these things and um one of our commentators robert lyman he he was in uh, a public servant in canada for uh, 27 years he was a diplomat for 10 years so he's got a really good insight on all these things and he said you know it's interesting that." When the wall came down, the Berlin Wall, um, you know, communism had to find a new program, right? And so a lot of that shift came out of Germany, came out of um, the Green Movement in Germany. Um, So, you know, there's lots of factors involved here. And, you know, particularly if I can go off on a tangent about Alberta. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, you know, Canada has been under this Green Trade War. The tar sands campaign which has largely been waged by um, forest ethics and corporate ethics out of the states corporate ethics has run a hundred groups worldwide to actively denigrate and demarket the oil sands in alberta uh, which is probably the finest environmental example of oil extraction anywhere in the world but we're denigrated all the time as dirty oil well then you find out that groups like the oak foundation which is based in switzerland has been funding um, all kinds of environmental groups in europe and like groups that have 100 200 associated networks they were funding a group in quebec uh, called the global climate change action fund which claims to have 470 nonprofits around the world in 70 countries that don't want to use fossil fuels. So, you know, you've got these huge groups of little grassroots people. They're being funded by these major foundations. And in our part of the world, they're attacking our, um, the essence of our, our uh, economy. And uh, people often dismiss it and say, well, you know, that's silly. Well, who's behind all of this? Right, exactly. A, it could be institutional investors. B, it could be vulture investors who are trying to drive down share price so that they can cash in. Um, C, it could be um, it could be geopolitics out of Europe. Because right. where does Germany get its gas from? In Russia. Yeah. And what did President Trump say to Germany? Hey, you guys want me to support NATO? And, and yet you're buying all your gas from right. Russia? Buy some from us. He didn't say don't ever buy from them, but, you know, come on.
0: Here we are. We're supposed to be your ally and Russia's not.
1: Right. And you look at France. France has la francophonie. I don't think people talk about that much in the States. La francophonie is about 140 countries around the world who are associated, kind of like a British Commonwealth, but a France. But in their list of of, um, partners is Qatar. (laughs) <laughs> qatar is deemed to be a terrorist state right but who's britain buying their lng from you know in winter when they run out of gas and when the wind farms aren't working
0: I don't know, where are they... They make
1: these emergency orders of lng from qatar uh, you
0: know? I, so britain and germany are buying their <laughs> cool.
1: yeah you know and I, I again you know i i have to say i don't have an objection to international trade right. because. You know, if you want to buy gas from Qatar, or like France, right? Total is a French oil company. They pulled out of the Alberta oil sands. They put $5 billion into a gas deal with Iran. So, you know, these are supposed to be um, Western nations that share our values and that we want to do business with. And in a way, I don't have a, a big problem with somebody doing business with Iran or something if they... Uh, if they choose to, but I have a big problem with it if they then demonize us.
0: <laughs> For doing exactly what they're doing behind the, you know, behind the curtains.
1: Yeah, I, uh, exactly. So, you know, I think that there is a huge element of geopolitics at play and I'm, I'm not skilled enough to know what that is, but I'm sure people, uh, you know,
0: what in- wonder if, because um, I do believe Trump's going to get reelected pretty, probably pretty heavily. And, uh, and while my capital R Republican days are behind me. I'm definitely more libertarian. I, I do like the Trump. And uh, I, I wonder if he, when he gets reelected, um, maybe he should go on a Teddy Roosevelt type trust busting and go after the NGOs and whatnot. And, you know, and these uh, various foundations and whatnot, who just are essentially, yeah, because And I, I was thinking about this the other day, why should, you know, an endowment, you know, at Harvard, which is completely Multi-billionaire, uh, and they, why should they get tax-free? It doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't. I mean, I, I don't know. Especially when we know they're doing funding of organizations that are up to no good. There's no other way. If you want to do it with your tax dollars, that's fine. But you know, right. don't do it with a tax write-off. Um, the way I look at it, Michelle, and I'll, I'll let you get out of here in just a second. But uh, you know, I'm a poor kid from Maine, and my one of my first memories are not my my mom after my dad had left, not being able to afford the gas bill. And, uh, and having no heat in our house. And uh, and not having heat is a scary, scary thing when you live in, in a cold environment. It's uh, it's not like uh, not having air conditioning in Phoenix because, you know, it's, that's tough. But not having heat is, is literally, well, you know this. And, uh, and I sit there and I see all these people saying uh, natural gas, uh, nuclear, never mind oil and coal. And I'm saying, how are you going to uh, heat your house on your stupid solar photovoltaic and your stupid wind when they give you about, what, three watts per meter square or something like that. It's just it's you're not getting any, uh, And that's what it kind of came to me where I said, you need this thing, you need fossil fuels to heat your house. And if you can't heat your house, then the poor people are always the one that get killed, um, literally killed by this. And the rich people though, dying, what's her name, Nancy Pelosi and all these guys, you know, they can just jet off in their electric planes, uh, right? Um, <laughs> and I, I just it really bothers me because this is I, I think is a classist thing the elite have the money and the uh the regular folks um they're just going to work every day trying to get by and yet the elite are buying up the, you know essentially the, the the economy and um and unfortunately the elite they just have green on the mind it's not green it's it's literally green for the money uh, or like some guy was saying what mark stein watermelons you know they're green on the outside but you know deep red on the inside yeah and i uh I just I it sickens me because I'm sitting there thinking and then your thing on Greta Thunberg and her parents, how corrupt the money is that goes that funds that whole thing with, a th- with not her specifically Greta, but certainly her I, the whole thing is just corrupt as all can be. And I, I just I, 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 I ponder that not I don't know about Canada, but Americans can just sit there so idly and take this and that's where I think at the end of the day, I think the bulk of us won't and we're going to reelect Trump. But then I see you reelected Trudeau and I'm like, Oh my goodness. How did that, I mean, what, how did that happen? I thought that guy would be dead to rights in terms of politics. You know what I'm saying? How did he get re-elected? That's crazy.
1: Well, well, yeah, it's, um, you know, again, the, uh, environmental groups in Canada, uh, which really got launched with a lot of foreign funding, yes. they have tremendous financial power. So. In the years from uh, 2000 to 2018, they took in the top 40 environmental groups in Canada, took in revenues that were 11 times that of all the political parties combined.
0: Whoa, combined!
1: Uh, Combined. They took in 27 times the revenues of free market think tanks in Canada, like Fraser Institute. Right, Right. So, you know, they're really out. Out, uh, distancing any mm. common, um, common sense voice and uh, political parties know that to win they have to get that power on okay. side and that's what Trudeau did effectively. He also did it in the 2015 election when the environmental groups had made this uh, bill C-48 which is what it became the tanker ban off the west coast. They'd made that an issue and you know he tweeted out that if I am if I am elected northern gateway pipeline will not become a reality so obviously all of those engos their supporters their vast social media networks right. yeah. boom they all jumped on board you know the, the fundamental problem is that people are energy illiterate
0: yes I've
1: they they really that. don't know yeah. the difference between energy density of wind yeah. and nuclear or wind and coal or wind it's a light.
0: gallon of gasoline for heaven's sake you know I'm sorry, I mean the energy density of a gallon of gasoline is the is same
1: right so they don't have a sense that um you know that they they come home and turn on the light and there's right. power so they figure okay it, i don't care if it comes from wind or solar some people even pay extra money to get their power from wind and solar well, the power grid doesn't differentiate between oh, we're sending this green energy to Josh's house, we're sending black, dirty energy to Michelle's house, you know, because she never paid for those green energies.
0: Right. Exactly.
1: It, it's all the same power. You know, basically, what you're doing is you're funding some wealthy corporation's exactly. building of a sub-tax subsidized exactly. wind farm. Yeah. So, uh, you know, yeah. people are just so energy illiterate; they don't know how the world runs, and the world runs on. Uh, more than 80% fossil fuels renewables only provide about 2% so yesterday Bloomberg put out this uh, news story that the end of oil is near right they keep saying that so a lot of people were tweeting about that these uh, green groups were tweeting it you know green supporters so I started posting this graph from BP which shows the forecast and it shows you know here's renewables it's tiny little yeah. thing here's coal and here's oil and here's natural gas you know huge 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 sum and one of the people tweeted back and was like wow look at coal yeah look at coal there's a video online that uh, from china they have built an 1800 kilometer coal train that's on an elevated track it's astounding. And this thing is going to be delivering coal for the next hundred years. You know, they're not, they're not going to the renewables. They're not phasing out coal. People think China's going green. I'm like, this is yeah. great. They're not. It's nuts. Because people Come on. You know, I don't
0: know if you watching, watch, if you see the USGS, the United States Geological Survey, but they say it seems like every three months they're reporting on newer, newer fines for natural gas in the Permian Basin, or, you know, I think they had one in the Marcella Shale. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, you know, hallelujah, but then I'm starting, but I think it's only hallelujah until, uh, until Trump loses to Elizabeth Warren, who says she's going to ban fracking and stuff. And I'm sitting there thinking. Are these people I literally I I can't help but think they 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 are either fake or they're insane. No, they can't I, I just sit there I'm thinking we have this
1: huge abundance
0: of natural gas
1: yeah.
0: and they just act like it's like ah anyway.
1: Well, you know, because there's a book by um MIT put it out and I think it's called uh uh cheap and clean. I can't quite remember. I can send you the the title after. Yeah. But um it's about a public survey and most people would like their power to be cheap and clean, but uh, you know, have been swayed by this perception that wind and solar are free and beautiful and clean and green. And, You know, they were trying to determine why is that And I guess, you know, sort of they said some of the characteristics of wind and solar are ubiquitous. You know, when you're walking down the street and there's a nice breeze, you feel Uh, quite good, you know. And when the sun comes out, you feel good. So there's lots of good things you can tie in. And with uh, any of the fossil fuels, all you have to do is show a piece of dirty coal. Right, Right. exactly. You know, Um, exactly. Right. And yet, when you look at the um, longevity of people, you know, from the 1700s, you know, people lived till maybe they were 30, 40 years old. And then there's this blossoming from the 1800s forward as we expanded into all the different fossil fuels. And and partly why modern medicine, like what are these people who are advocating a complete phase out of fossil fuels gonna do for modern medicine? Because the only thing that keeps a, a, a medical facility running is reliable, affordable power you need electricity you need to drive pumps to make sure the air is clean you've got to have lights in surgery you don't want your resuscitator going off in the middle of your surgery Um, you know incubators i mean uh, like what in a hospital doesn't require fossil fueled power how can you have modern day surgery without fossil fuels you can't um, and people say, oh, well, we'll build more dams. Well, you know, <laughs> dams are limited by the geography. That's exactly. what I'm saying. The
0: environmentalists don't like that anyway.
1: Right, or yeah. we'll build more nuclear. Well, nuclear would be good, but it too has some some limitations in terms of geography. If you're building contemporary uh, plants, you need to be near water cooling.
0: Water's a yeah. bit,
1: um, and, and hopefully, you know, there is some, some possibility that in the near future there could be these like small modular reactors right. and that they could provide clean power and a, you know and they could be easily distributed right. that would be fantastic but you know it's not market ready like right. we should be we still see our today. future on on a good idea or or actually uh, keep this in me. we shouldn't science. be building our future on unicorns yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> i love that um i i need to get i always thought about. i want to drop an anvil on my head remember the old uh, yeah. uh the looney tunes thing and i gotta <laughs> get like an anvil like what you have to drop on my head some guy had written in science magazine the other day about how our medicine modern medicine was uh, leading to global warming i said least, <laughs> this is nuts um all right, how do people get a I, first of all this is flipping awesome i could literally sit here all day and chat with you i i love it likewise and, uh, <laughs> How do people get a hold of uh, of you, Michelle, and just give us the whole background of what, what you're doing and uh, how people get a hold of you and, you know, if anything that you're writing, anything you're working on, let, let us know, please, would you? Right. right okay, thank you.
1: Yeah. yeah, well, um, if people want to uh, become a member or donate or if they'd like to just go through our site, we have a website, which is friendsofscience.org. Yeah. I'm looking at it right
0: now, as a matter mm-hmm. of fact, yep. Friendsofscience.org, yep, and it says... Yeah, we-
1: and we also have another website, which is a plain language, sort of simpler, youth-oriented website called climatechange101.ca. Okay. So, and
0: science.org and then climatechange101.ca.
1: Yes. Okay, cool. So, uh, and we also have a blog, and our blog is listed on our website, and it's usually pretty active. Uh, it hasn't been in the last couple of weeks, because I had that technical problem that I had to fix. Um... Then uh, we also have a very active YouTube site, which I yes. think is YouTube, no,
0: YouTube site's fantastic
1: and a Facebook page so uh, we 're friends of science. You should always include Calgary in the search because there's millions of friends of science as ah. it. so we were formed in about two thousand and two, uh, and our objective was to question Kyoto and uh, you know the climate science didn 't make sense to the founding members. Most of whom were professional geologists, geophysicists, uh, professional engineers, and a lot of professional engineers. People say, "Well, what do they have anything to do with climate change?" Right. Well, they deal with precision data every day of their life. Yeah. You know, and it's critical. It's mission critical. If an engineer messes up in the math, yep. you know, God forbid, that plane will go down. That bridge people will die.
0: People die the bridge isn't it's just nuts.
1: Yeah, it's that's what based they, on. Uh,
0: Mm -hmm. They wear this
1: little iron ring, you know, they have an iron ring ceremony because it's to remind them of this bridge in Quebec that actually did collapse because the engineering was off. Yeah. And a lot of people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, there is a a particular moral ethical and legal mandate imposed on engineers. And that's why a lot of them do speak up about climate change, um, because they see that these models are completely off. I mean, the Canadian climate model, I think is, uh, Something like uh, three to five times off the observed temperatures. That would never fly in business. Can you imagine in business? You come in and go. Well, you know, I know I made projections last year that we are going to make profits of X, Y, Z, and based on that, we spent this much money. But you know, it was three to five times off. Are you kidding? Would you year have a over year
0: over year? By the way, you know, I'm so saying it's like every. I mean, right? If, so. If, if so Oh, go ahead, so go ahead.
1: Our, our founders, you know, were concerned about these kinds of things and they were professional engineers, professional geologists, uh, one or two business people, but they were retired. So, okay. you know, they don't have vested interest in the industry. People continuously try to smear us as if, oh well, yeah, a big oil funds, you right. Not on about $150,000 a year, volunteers, myself, I'm a part-time subcontracted service. And, um, you know that when you look at the money that these big engos are taking in like david suzuki foundation for yeah i was instance, gonna ask you about that guy. million dollars in assets how <laughs> much 19 million
0: and that's what that guy's assets are
1: the david the foundation's assets
0: uh, uh, 19 million in assets for the david suzuki foundation
1: yeah which is a, a charity but how is it a charity when they're blocking coal when they're um blocking pipelines you know how is any of this charitable behavior this is nothing to do with a charity and they've been funded by power corporation since 2007 i don't know for how much but you know if they're going to complain or claim <laughs> that we are you know some kind of a proxy for for big corporation well who's a big proxy for big corporation
0: i'm, I'm corporation sure they're getting is, taxpayer dollars somehow too you know what i'm saying oh they sure. do
1: yes because they're a charity federally registered charity here and in the States, I believe. It's, <laughs> so if you can believe it. Um, I, I can.
0: I mean, when it comes to climate, uh, I ble- literally- Anything. You know, I, you know, some of the fearmonger stuff on other aspects of society, I just, whatever, you know, like the, you know, there's a Nazi under every bed or there's a commie under, you know, there, or the, someone's gonna blow us up. I, I don't pay any attention to that. But when it comes to climate, it literally, if you can think it, it's happening um, in terms of the dastardly stuff. I, <laughs> That that David says I don't know that much about him just not being from Canada but I've I've read enough about him I'm like how does that guy I know how to get away anyway, um, I like well, that he like
1: had him. a very high profile because he was on CBC television for many years doing this nature program
0: ah, the nature ah. gotcha so, Calico, you know everyone
1: cool. grew up with him and I often say the problem in Canada why we can't have an open civil debate about these issues is that we're just too Suzuki fied you know we all grew up on him talking about the the northern loon or the you know uh whatever some critter they were beautiful nature shows but you know now
0: yeah i'll though there
1: there's a great video in australia he was on tv in australia and um so someone in the audience had a question for him and they asked him about all these uh different temperature data sets so they said, you know, what is your response when you see that the temperature data sets of the RSS, the UAH, the, uh, G what is it, GCN, GNC? Uh, anyway, I don't remember them myself. But he said, what, are the, what, are, what is your response to these temperature data sets being flat for 20 years? Right, right. And David Suzuki said, well, what are those things? What are you talking about? So he didn't even know the names of the temperature data sets that are used by the science community. Yet he's always talking about climate change. Does a know
0: about the of Alabama, <laughs> Huntsville.
1: <laughs> right. Exactly. Yes. John, Dr. John Christie, or doc, uh, Dr. John Christie. Yeah, and he's
0: going to be an expert. And if you disagree with him, Michelle, you're a denier, you know? I mean, that's exactly.
1: So well, that's it. You know, uh, our people are actual scientists and he calls us <laughs> deniers and he's, uh, a scientist, but he's a geneticist and he hasn't practiced for many years. But that well, doesn't never... know what the doesn't know the the current <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. doesn't even know the means. Be... Yeah.
0: like well, yeah, all right. Thanks for being here, Michelle. Much my this pleasure. is freaking awesome. Uh if you're ever in the stateside and you need a place to camp out in the uh North Fulton County Atlanta, please let us know. But stay warm up there in Alberta and uh Thank blessings you. to you, ma'am. I uh I can't tell you how awesome this is that uh, we have people like you on, on the side of reason and uh, and liberty. No other way around. It's about liberty. I mean, if they deny your right to have heat in your home, you're, they're denying your liberty. And I just – I I am so glad that – it seems like our side is getting less and less timid and more and more saying, no, we're not going to take this crap. You guys, David Suzuki, you don't know what UAH is. I mean, hell, I'm a financial planner. I know what UAH is. And I just because I have a cursory interest in this stuff, if you don't know – uh that's that's the wrong answer. And I just uh hey, anyway, I love it. Thanks for being here. Um Thank you. I appreciate it. Anyway, by the way, a friend of science, the um uh, and I'll put a link in the show notes, the YouTube channel is must a uh, must subscribe. And uh you do a video probably once a week, once every couple of weeks or
1: something. Uh yes. Yeah, probably, yeah
0: this stuff okay thanks again. well thank
1: you very much thanks for having us on josh and uh yes we have to just have the courage and speak up and you know demand open civil debate exactly. and full cost Exactly.
0: Benefit let That's both sides be heard it's amazing yeah. Yeah. thanks michelle appreciate thank it you, Josh. you're welcome okay. bye-bye okay bye stop recording there